1: And welcome to GDI on Autism on 103.9 FM, keeping an eye on autism and giving a voice to its Long Island community. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Romus, and again, so glad that you could join us this morning as we share and explore all relevant issues related to autism spectrum disorder. My guest this morning is Dr. Geraldine Dawson. Dr. Dawson is the William Cleveland Distinguished Professor of Psychiatrists. A psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Duke University, where she is also a professor of pediatrics and psychology and neuroscience. Dr. Dawson is the director of the Duke Center for Autism and Brain Development, where her work focuses on improving methods for early detection and intervention for autism. Welcome, Dr. Dawson.
0: Well, I'm very happy to be here.
1: I'm delighted that you could take this time. You know, it's funny the introduction was really just a snippet of the manner in which I could have introduced you. Just the, the the show is short, and credentials are incredibly long, and I thought we should just go, you know, go 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 right to it. Uh, yeah. So you know, as as we touched on very very quickly before the show, there are really so many directions we could go, but I know the audience. Uh, Our listeners will probably be very interested in early detection as it affects infants and toddlers uh, with autism, and perhaps to move into how we're getting better at that uh, through AI, which has come under such scrutiny today and such criticism, it's nice to hear something, (laughs) something good about it. So with that in mind, maybe you could please tell us just a little bit about what's going on with early detection in your work.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. Um, Let's start with a big picture of why do we need new methods for early detection of autism. And currently, the way in which uh, young toddlers are screened is by using a parent questionnaire. Um, There's several questionnaires, but the most common one is a questionnaire called the modified checklist for autism and toddlers. And it's a simple list of questions that ask parents whether their child is demonstrating uh, specific kind of behaviors that we know are uh, often not developing in a typical way for a toddler who likely has a diagnosis of autism. And so the way in which this is done is typically during a well-child visit. And in fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics suggests that all Uh, toddlers be screened for autism during their 18 and 24 month checkup. And the reason for that is that although the early signs of autism do begin uh, during infancy, uh, we are able to reliably screen uh, by 18 to 24 months. So that questionnaire is very important. We we do feel like parents are are very good at uh, detecting whether something is developing differently. In fact, there's studies that have shown that uh, parent concerns are highly predictive of uh, children having some kind of a developmental uh, delay or, in some cases, autism. But we also know that that questionnaire is missing some kids. And in particular, it's not as accurate uh, when it's conducted out in primary care as compared to say in a research study, partly because it's a bit complicated. The pediatrician needs to follow up by interviewing the parent if they endorse certain items. And pediatricians, unfortunately, they're very busy. They don't often do that. Uh, So that is that's an issue. And then the other thing is that parents are sometimes missing things, um, which I think is pretty common, particularly, say, if a parent this might be their first child and they may not really notice some of the things. So the actual report might not be as accurate as we wanted. And so it's in particular missing children of color. Um, And also uh, girls, which, uh, you know, may present a little bit differently. And so, you know, if you think about going in yourself, if you had a concern to the doctor, let's say you had a concern um, about your heart you know, the the doctor would ask for your report, you know, self report, they would say, you know, are you feeling that, you know, you uh, are having any symptoms? Are you tired? And so forth. But then they would follow it up with objective, quantitative measures. And in particular, they would directly assess how the heart is working, say, through an EKG. But we don't really have anything like that for autism. So when you think about uh, autism, it's a behavioral diagnosis. There's not a blood test that we can do or anything like that. It is a a pattern of behaviors. So our goal was to develop an objective, efficient way of measuring those early behavioral signs. And remarkably, you can do this with a computer and with artificial intelligence. So um, when I first started this work, I was a bit skeptical, I must say, I have uh, you know, been observing and diagnosing children for many years, and uh, I was, you know, I really wondered whether a computer could do this, but I'm happy to tell you more about how we do this if you're interested in do- in me um, explaining that.
1: We absolutely are. Just uh, for a quick pause, just going to probe a little bit about what you were saying in terms of... A lesser, maybe precision around measuring this in persons of color. Person, I mean, we've known for some time that boys get diagnosed with autism more than 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 girls. And whether or not that's an issue of the way it's recognized or identified comes into play. But starting first with the issue around persons of color, um, there must be some speculation around that. Is this di- are these potentially differences in the way autism is expressed or the way it is reported or, or both uh, with respect to culture and characterization of the disorder?
0: You know, those are really good questions, and we don't um, know the full answers, but we do have some um, suggestions of what might be going on Um, in terms of children of color. We do not have any evidence. In fact, I think the evidence suggests strongly that the way in which autism presents itself is is the same a in a a child who's black or a child um, of a different ethnicity, such as a Latinx or Hispanic family. Um, so that we don't think that's what's going on, but we do, um, there is some evidence that families from different backgrounds or uh, cultural backgrounds may be reporting on these questionnaires differently. And so um, you know, what are the factors that that contribute to that? That's a pretty complex topic. But what we know is when we actually run the studies and we look at, okay, you know, if we do the diagnosis, who did we miss? what it's showing is that, hey, you know, there were kids who ultimately got a diagnosis of autism um, who were black, who were not picked up. Mm-hmm. Now, we need to go back and understand that better. Uh, but the reality of that is is there in the data. And the, similarly for girls, um, and we there is some evidence that the uh, behavioral presentation for girls is a little bit different so Mm -hmm. there's some evidence for example that um, girls are do not show the same degree of um, differences in their use of eye contact as an example Um, so the the behavioral manifestations might be a bit more subtle Mm -hmm. um, and that may be one of the reasons why we're we're missing girls Mm -hmm. Um, but you know again there may be uh, other factors for example um, you know there may be biases, right? Uh, it, for example, if the pediatrician has in their mind that oh, if if it's a girl, it's less likely to be autism, they then may be making a referral, you know, less frequently. So, I think in all of these cases, we're trying to develop ways that could complement parent report and the pediatrician's observations with something that is much more objective, just directly observe the child's behavior. And I think the other thing is you see as I describe more about how the computer does this, is the computer's not only more accurate, but it actually has such a high degree of resolution mm. um, in um, being able to measure these subtle differences in behavior. So um, you know, very briefly, what we're doing is the parent can download an app on their smartphone or a tablet. Uh, The app shows a set of brief movies that are strategically designed to elicit different behaviors, and the uh, child watches these movies, and the camera in the device is recording all the responses to the movies, and then we use a technique called computer vision analysis um, to measure all the movements um, that the uh, child is making.
1: And we ask you to hold that thought, because that's exactly where I'd love to begin after the break just a, a, a quick comment that it couldn't be at a better departure point for some of the advantages now of this resource of computer assessment where a lot of, where it introduces a level object of objectivity that really might move beyond some of the cultural biases that could be informing parents and in our own observation. so i mean just couldn't be more on point so stay with us we'll move to a quick break and we'll be right back with uh, dr Geraldine wilson well, Welcome back Long Island. You're listening to DDI Autism on 103.9 FM. Dr. Michael Romas here continuing continue my conversation with Dr. Geraldine Dawson of Duke University and we're discussing major advances in our ability To assess the the potential of autism in really, really young people, including infants and toddlers. And uh, Dr. Dawson, we left off and we were talking a little bit about just that the precision uh, and the quickness. And the accuracy that is emerging now uh, with AI and uh, computer assessment. Um, maybe to talk a little bit about what that looks like. I think you described uh, applying uh, you know, you know vi- videos and apps so that uh, parents would look at that. Can you just flesh that out a little bit more questions?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that the app that we've designed, is able to be downloaded on an iPhone or a a tablet, and it shows a series of brief movies. Uh, So let me just give you an example of what one of those movies would look like. Um, One movie would show a woman who's playing with a, a toy, and the way it would be designed is the woman is on one side of the screen, the toy is on another side of the screen, and the toddler is simply watching the movie. Now, what are we interested in? First of all, where is the baby looking? Um, Is the baby looking at the person or the toy or what you would expect typically is they would be actually alternating their gaze between the toy and the person. But they would be spending a lot of time looking at that person, particularly because we've designed this to be actors that are very engaging and smiling and, and looking at the baby and so forth. So one example of what a computer can do is measure gaze Um, and we can do this literally uh, from the movies that we've gathered using the camera in the phone or the tablet. And so the videos that um, are taken while the baby's watching, watching the movies are uploaded and then we use a technology called computer vision to actually map where the eyes are looking. So what we discovered, and this has been shown in studies that have used more expensive eye tracking equipment, um, is that toddlers who will go on to have a diagnosis of autism are going to be much less likely to be um, paying attention to the woman in the movie and much more interested in looking at the toy. So that's one example. But there are many other behaviors that we can pick up. And some of these were predicted, like this one was well known. And so we actually designed it to pick it up. But uh, because the computer is so uh, exquisitely accurate and has such high resolution, we picked up on these so-called biomarkers or digital phenotypes um, that we didn't even know existed. So let me just give you an example. We discovered that when a toddler who's going to have a diagnosis of autism is watching a movie, they're showing a very subtle movement of their head back and forth. Mm-hmm. And this isn't something that clinician would be able to really uh, quantify. Um, we don't know exactly why they're doing this. We suspect that it is has to do with sensory regulation, that as they're getting the sensory input, their bodies are moving in some way to kind of uh, regulate that sensory input because we know autism is associated with differences in sensory processing. But the computer can measure in real time the frequency of those movements and it turns out that that is a very uh, distinguishing um, early digital phenotype. Um, another one is during the movie, someone calls the child's name. And so uh, the child, it, one of the early signs of autism is fail, failure to orient when the, the child's name is called. And in fact, if when you do a diagnostic assessment of a toddler, the clinician will call the child's name and see whether they turn their head and orient uh, to their name. So the computer does a fantastic job of, of being able to measure that head turn uh, to, to the name call. Now, one of the interesting things that we discovered and really underscores this idea that a computer can see things that a human eye cannot is that some of the uh, children who went on to get a diagnosis of autism did orient Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we were conducting a diagnostic assessment, we would say, well, the child doesn't have that early sign, right? They, they can orient it to their name. But what the computer told us is that if the child um, has a diagnosis of autism, they oriented uh, about one second delayed mm. compared to a neurotypical child. So this is, a, again, something that would be very hard for a clinician to be able to even detect or measure uh, in any kind of reliable way. So the computer is is measuring every movement on the face, all of these head movements, body movements, and so forth. And some of the, we were able to derive 23 different what we call digital phenotypes or biological signatures, and these, you know, included things like the raising of the eyebrows and the movements of the mouth and so forth. And then using these 23 different characteristics, We use what's called machine learning or artificial intelligence to combine those into an algorithm that can then detect whether this child um, is likely to have a diagnosis of autism. And we can do that with a a high degree of accuracy. So the idea is to use this as a screening tool. Uh, In fact, the study that we just published in Nature Medicine, um, all of the data were collected during a primary care uh, well-child visit. And so this can be done, you know, at home, or it can be done um, in the uh, exam room. Um, it takes less than 10 minutes to watch these movies, and then the, co- the coding of all these movements is automatic. And then it actually reads out several values. It first of all tells you, did it get enough data to give you a reliable assessment? And then it says, you know, what is the probability that this child um, is on the autism spectrum? Um, and then also can tell you the specific behavioral features that it detected that suggested that this child um, is likely to have a diagnosis of autism. So it provides a lot of um, information and, and even a confidence reading about um, is this child very, very likely or somewhat likely um, to have a diagnosis. And all this can be done um, just automatically automatically. So the idea is to combine this with multiple sources of information, including um the questionnaire. so we 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 don't feel like this should replace parent report, which we think is so important, uh, but rather be used in conjunction with mm-hmm. parent report. And the other thing to to keep in mind is this is not a diagnostic tool. This is a screening tool. Yes. so it's its purpose is to tell the pediatrician that they need to make a referral for a diagnosis, and then they would be seen by a clinician who would um, conduct an assessment. Um, at this point, it, we're really focusing on screening, not diagnosis.
1: What is, what is the predictive value? In other words, uh, the number of false positives? What's the level? How reliably can... can the, the, the assessment is given through the computer, and there is a determination that this child is at high risk for sh- sh- at least expressing autism in the next few, year, two years, or even right now, right? What is the predictive accuracy of that? How many people will go on it? To to the definitive diagnosis of autism, as opposed to move pa- move past this uh, entirely, because that will be obviously it's going to be really important for parents to to wrap their heads around and, and clinicians.
0: Yeah, so so the the um, results of this study suggest that we're not missing um, many children at all. It was somewhere mm-hmm. around ninety seven percent. In other words, it would just very few kids would be missed. Right. Um, However, um, on the flip side, in terms of kids who would be identified.
1: Yeah.
0: um, Only about half of those end up with a diagnosis of autism. And that's actually true for the for the for the uh, questionnaire as well. So we would. But most of those kids will have some neurodevelopmental condition that's similar for the questionnaire as well um so when you design a um a screening tool you want to be very sensitive to not missing anyone it's you don't and so it's really designed to be close to perfect in not missing anyone um so that those kids would get referred and then about half of those kids will end up with a diagnosis of autism
1: you know we we've uh... We've covered a lot of material, but time has made it impossible for us to move into what we're going to do with this information. Uh, how clinicians will prescribe uh, will prescribe interventions in response to getting this information, and what this means for for parents and families. Uh, so that's exciting to me. So I'm going to ask you, to please come back for next week's show and uh, let's 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 pick up right there and talk a little bit about what to do with some really thrilling new information with greater accuracy. Thank you, Dr. Dawson.
0: My pleasure.
1: Join us next week for GDI and on 103.9 FM as we continue our conversation with Dr. Geraldine Dawson of Duke University. Thank you. Welcome to your life.
0: The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.